and they've already been doing this for 20 years. So Hi there. I think there's going to be a release. We're of listening to, to Gaia show called. Thanks for being on Cosmic Disclosure, Emery. Salvaging Ancient Alien Tech with Emery something from uh, who uh, tells us all about the reverse engineered alien technology that our, own go our government won't tell us about. And we deserve to know. I mean, our pa our taxpayer money's paying for it. So, uh, so here we go. What do you know? What do you know? Show cosmic disclosure inside the secret space program. Welcome to Cosmic Disclosure. I'm your host, George Norrie, and I'm here with Emery Smith. Oh, oops. Oh, gosh, darn it. Okay, by the way, uh, I'll read the write-up about it. From recently discarded tech to ancient ET craft. It's George Norrie, and I'm here with Emery Smith, and we will... Our solar system is awash with space junk, and major aerospace corporations vie for their share of the spoils. Emery Smith gives us the inside scoop on who is running interplanetary salvaging programs and what they gain from the strange things that they find. He explains that most of the technologies in the SSPs from spacesuits to vehicles have been reverse engineered from alien wreckage salvaged from deep space missions. Okay. So, right. Here we go. Be talking about space salvaging in this episode. Emery, welcome back to Cosmic Disclosure. Well, hi, George. Thanks for having me. What the heck is space <laughs> salvaging? Well, just like we have uh, ships out here in the ocean that salvage uh, wreckages, there's a huge event going on in our atmosphere and exoatmosphere in our surrounding solar system. And what that is, is the constant daily activity of craft going up and salvaging space junk. And not just uh, the space junk that we have put up there, but space junk that has been here for millions of years of down craft, bodies, devices. Who's going up there taking it? We're going up there collecting it. The human civilization, the corporations have contracted out major rocket entities to send up these craft. Now, there are space stations up there already with these technicians and mechanics that are up there all the time. And they are collecting this material and putting it on these capsules and sending it back down to Earth where we retrieve them from the ocean and take it back to our laboratories and study whether it's fibers or metals or composites or bodies even. It's space junk though, isn't it? Space junk, just like junk here, still can be used, recycled, and we can learn from yeah. it because a lot of this stuff is not made on Earth. It's not from Earth. There's a lot more of that just floating around. The whole yeah. uh, system is full of this space junk that's just floating around. Some are craft that have, um, you know, been damaged or exploded. Old satellites very died. Yeah, right? old satellites and things like this that are, are not of Earth origin, by the way. Many drones have been found as well uh, from, you know, extraterrestrial uh, civilizations that are up there that just didn't make it. The uh, president has proposed Space Force. One of the missions will be to continue the salvaging of satellites that are up there. Right. Eventually, this will just be a civilian operated uh, entity that's going to be public and not be so clandestine. But right now, it's just reserved for the people who have the money 
to collect these items and to come back and reverse engineer them and use them for products. I mean, the whole thing with the Space Force, I kind of have to giggle at it because that's been already going on as far as I know since 1990. So for them to say, well, we need $14 billion or whatever it is to make this Space Force, so kind of like the secret NASA, you know, was already doing all this stuff way back in the day. Uh, which regular NASA has no idea, you know, that's just a cover up, you know. So I think what's going on here is to get the American people to support this with their tax money is to say, well, now we're going to have a space force. We've already had, you know, uh, the capability to launch missiles from space, you know, like I said, 20 years ago, we already have high powered laser beams to shoot down at the earth and shoot into sure. space. We've seen that, you know, there's, there's new satellites going out there that uh, have very high powered telescopes and tracking systems that can track objects deep within our solar system. So we know where every piece of debris is and whether it's moving under its own steam or not. There's been talk that there's a satellite called the Black Knight satellite. Might we be also looking for that? Uh, I don't know too much about that. Uh, I don't study a lot of the pop culture stuff that's online. I just know that there are devices like that out there, uh, very large craft that have been down. They're just floating around space. Uh, some are in orbit uh, around uh, the moon, around other planets nearby, around the sun. So they only come around every now and then, but they are in some sort of elliptical orbit. And daily things are coming near uh, the Earth where they can go out and see what this giant thing is. Is it an asteroid? Is it a, a, an abandoned ship? And they go out there and they do the best to, you know, get these things. Emory, you've talked about space stations being up there. What else is up there? There are other stations that are up there and stations being built today around the same size, just very, you know, a little bit different. And these are housing technicians and scientists, not only for, you know, the removal of all the salvaging, but also to uh, control different types of satellites that are a little bit farther away. We actually have satellite drones that can maneuver around the solar system now wow. that these people are controlling, but they don't, it's easier for them to do up there for some reason than to be on Earth. What kind of corporations are involved in this kind of work right now? All the aerospace scientific corporations, I won't say names, but everyone, well, we know them. you guys already know them. And they also have sub entities under them and they make sub corporations under these corporations to make it look like they're not really with that corporation. It just depends on what, you know, happened. There's a lot of space accidents that happen you don't hear about. So the military will contact these corporations and say, hey, by the way, we had a little malfunction up there. Would you mind? you know, repairing the satellite or getting this, if you can, right. they have their own smaller space shuttles or smaller than our space shuttle that maneuver around uh, space and around our, uh, our atmosphere, exo atmosphere. There's also very smaller versions of these uh, type of, they're like pods. So think of like a motorcycle pod that you can go around space just for one or two people that is also in orbit all the time and that are, are docked with these space shuttles and these space stations. And we do have a very special killer satellite up there that can project a, an EMF wave, electromagnetic field disruption wave. And knock out a and, satellite? And totally take a satellite out within a half a second and completely disable it. But I also can't understand is, you know, we're gonna put all these, you know, weapons in space, but, you know, someone with a high-powered uh, 
electromagnetic sure. frequency pulse generator could actually you know, take one out from here. They have special satellites and radars out there that pick up on these types of uh, electromagnetic pulse bursts. So they can basically hone in and triangulate exactly where it came from. Well, where it came from, but, but who set it up there? Everything that leaves the atmosphere on Earth is monitored. So if there is a corporation or a country launching anything into the atmosphere, that's going to be a high-threat satellite where they're going to monitor that very closely and see what type of frequencies it's delivering, also shoot it with X-rays and you know, basically pick it apart from very, very far away. The Soviet Union set up a satellite around one of Mars's moons many years ago, and there was a picture of an object approaching that satellite, and all of a sudden, that satellite went dead. I think it was an extraterrestrial craft. Possible? Very possible. Anything that kind of leaves our exoatmosphere that goes beyond that is under strict surveillance. Uh, and they know what the, you know, they know the intention behind these satellites. Mm -hmm. They might be telling you, oh, we just want to look at the rocks on Mars, but really, maybe they just want to drop a bomb on Mars to see and measure, you know, the frequencies and, you know, the atmosphere change and things like this. There's a lot of clandestine projects are launched into space, and we're told it's just for space exploration or this, that, or the other, but actually it's some other agenda that they're having that's usually negative how do they retrieve once they're up there yeah they have smaller scoop. space shuttles which have you know like the boom arms that you see in the old space shuttle sure. things very industrial very old-fashioned we're still using the whole gas pulling oil none of this is anti-gravitic as far as the space salvaging uh this is it's a very old school archaic way of you know going up there still with rocket fuel bringing supplies up there. That's why all these rockets keep going up there. Um, these little space buggies uh, that I was telling about, the little motorcycle things that float around, have mm -hmm. these crab-like arms to get very small objects um, that are located. And they bring that back to the shuttle, and then they go back to the space station. And that constantly is just this ongoing daily activity. When you talk about uh, retrieving bodies, what bodies are we talking about? Well, there's been accidents in space, and every now and then a body is returned, a frozen body from space. Could be a human, uh, human extraterrestrial. They weren't born on planet Earth, I'll say. Okay, they may have been a hybridization. Right, a hybridization. Many different species with have been collected, DNA. by the way. With human DNA, okay. correct. All extraterrestrials have human DNA. And they'll, you know, find these on the radar, and they'll go out there and collect them, bring them back, and send them back to Earth in these uh, capsules. You're getting different parts of uh, fibers, different types of metals and things like this that are reverse engineered. They do have full craft. They don't. They can't bring that back to the surface, though. Too big? It's usually too big, or they're worried about if they do send it down, uh, of course, it's just going to burn up or could actually hurt somebody. Or contamination? Or contamination. So what they do is they send these salvagers out there to take apart the craft or to document it and video it and learn as much as they can, take pieces of it, um, shoot it with very advanced radar technologies uh, to see what's inside the walls, to see what the propulsion units are, you know, these types of things. What have you specifically seen here, Emory? I have just seen pieces of metal, uh, weapons, uh, medical devices, uh, bodies, uh, parts of craft, propulsion units from craft that they have brought back to the compartmentalized programs and the underground facilities I was at, that they had a big storage area for this stuff. And uh, of course, the bodies go into a completely different area. So these are the things I've seen. What has been the most astounding thing you've seen? I think the material itself, when they do all the testing on and it comes back 
of you know these metals that we've really kind of really don't have here on Earth, or the mixture of certain metals together of how they bonded these these atoms together to form super amazing um, pieces of of material that you know we use today for protection and and implants and all sorts of things. So you you got more excited about retrieve metals than an ET body? Well, you have to understand, too, I'm used to seeing bodies all the time, okay. so it wasn't like a big deal. But to know that our whole world can change just because of a material, you know, that can protect us, a clear piece of metal. They're using it in spacecraft, they're using it in weapons, they're using it in aircraft, they're using uh, it in medical, uh, they're using some of the stuff, of course, uh, as far as the bodies, pharmaceutical stuff. So it is a reverse engineering or trying to duplicate that or trying to learn how they did it and how they made it. This program, you know, I call it like the secret NASA. I know everyone calls it the SSP and all these other pop culture terms, but it's been around for a while. They have very advanced space shuttles. They have very advanced suits. They're not the big bulky suits you see on TV or, you know, the stuff you see um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin wearing. These are very these are movable. These are very flexible, very movable, very strong materials that were reverse engineered. The helmets can go clear and dark uh, electronically. They have their own atmosphere built into them. Um, you can survive in these suits for many, many days as far as uh, breathing and uh, urinating and defecating. Uh, all this is taken into uh, into account for these types of suits. It's kind Check of a cross out. between That's a space suit uh, that you see back in the old days and a... Um, Something that a pilot would wear? No. That kind of tightness? Not, a, not, not the uh, pressurized suit. But do you ever see these triathletes when they swim through the ocean? They have these big skin suits on sometimes. Or you see the, the scuba divers going in Antarctica, and they have the whole headdress and everything. So picture shrinking that big, puffy suit down to a very skin-tight level. Where you can move around. Where you can move around. It has articulated joints um, on everywhere. Uh, so totally it's, it's very ambidextrous. Right? It's all one piece, and it and it actually zip locks in the back of the person, and the helmet uh, attaches to an aluminum frame that's on the collar. It's one giant piece of uh, glass that has four segments with metal in between the glass to separate, you know. But it's more like four or five sided, and inside there is a heads-up display and your comm is in your collar so all the computer stuff is in your collar that shoots up on your screen and you can also see live video which is transmitted from a hub i could actually see what you're looking at if i wanted to and it's all you know it could be voice activated there's usually a comm controller that's you know connecting four or five astronauts at one time kind of like in the matrix where you have that guy and he's on the computer, right? And then the people are, you know, in the matrix, and he's like kind of communicating with them and controlling and controlling everything. So it's kind of like that. There's always a big. It's a very team effort. It's a. It, it can go uh, to hell in a handbag real quick up there. So there's a lot of protocols. And the shoes must be self-contained too. No, the shoes are not. The gloves, shoes, and helmet are are not uh, self-contained. They all come on. With 
with this very light aluminum and snap in and seal. And there's a button on there that actually pressurizes the suit once it's sealed. And there's sensors all over the suit that allow them to know if there's any type of pressure breaks or anything like that. And the cool thing, the reason that the, the feet and the helmet and the uh, hands are separated is because if those are usually the areas that they have problems with, uh, lacerations and things like that, and they automatically have rubber rubber seals on the inside that if there was like my hand, let's say I cut my, my glove, it immediately pressurizes that. So... I don't lose pressure in the whole ah, suit. I get it. It's kind of like a G suit, but s smaller areas on the suit can do this. Like a G suit, pressurized G suit for the, you know, F-16 sure. pilots and things sure. like this. Uh, a lot of these things are, were based off of um, the plants that they have taken that were bulletproof, the leaves and things like that, that they reverse engineered from the portal journeys and also reverse engineered uh, suits that they had contracted from other extraterrestrials. <laughs> Um, things like that. So it's definitely not the same stuff uh, that we're using. Uh, I think a lot of the, the things you see on the old school space shuttles and the old astronaut suits were actually, uh, maybe they were saying it was, you know, this, that, or the other, polycarbonate, carbon fiber, you know. I really believe a lot of stuff reverse engineered, but they're not going to tell the public that. So these things are definitely reverse engineered. Uh, suits because I know I know for a fact because when I was working with uh, the super suits uh, on on the terrestrial basis, all that stuff was reverse engineered as well, and a lot of it was made of graphene uh, mixed with titanium. <laughs> I mean, what are the capabilities of our own equipment and satellites? We have satellites that can zoom in very very high definition, unlike anything we have. Seeing so many different uh, light spectrums as well. Now we can huh. shoot into space and see what kind of craft's coming in and how many people are in there. Jeez. You know, and the same thing with satellites that are going up there. We can actually scan these satellites from very very far away, see all the components that are in there, see if they're carrying plutonium or radioactive material, and and have that information within seconds. Put, you know, right back down to terrestrial Earth so we know if it's a threat or not. Do other countries that have space... The system plays, comma, so I don't get on the ballot, if exclamation point, exclamation point. No, because I want you guys to think more of corporations working together. There's many of these corporations it, are, of course, they're all points. over the world. But they're contracting, you know, SpaceX has no idea what they're putting into space. It's a contract job. It's classified. They don't know. It's already comes packaged and contained. It's a very controlled environment, just like we are controlled here about how much we can do. You know, up there is the same thing. And these corporations have a really good and stronghold on that. And no one's there to, you know, expose that, by the way. I mean, did they come back and say to the Chinese government, we just picked up one of your dead satellites. Would you like it back? Do they do that? Well, you talking about the corporation? Yeah. The corporation would have, would have no use for that anyway, but if they wanted to, they could take it if it was uh, non-functioning. Uh, whether they would like to inform the, uh, the science, uh, Space Science Administration in China, well, that'd be, you know, up to them. And I don't think, you know, there's nothing like anything to promote a war or to take someone's uh, property, because property up there is property. Uh, whether it's a damaged piece of property or whether it's an active satellite or an active station or a body, it is property of some of some origin on, you know, in the world. 
And one of the most interesting things we retrieved was a reptilian-like arm on a 10-foot piece of metal, which we later figured out this was a weapon of, of some sort. From? It was just it was just floating with the space jump. Where did it come from? Well, we don't know. By the way, the arm was a reptilian frog-like arm with three fingers. So I want you to picture this long arm and this 10-foot spear. And the arm alone was probably four or five feet long. So this was a very large beam. And the hand and the fingers were molded into this giant spear. What happened to the rest of the body? We have no idea. We never found any, anything else like that. But we have found bodies similar to this, uh, this arm before. And I've seen these in the projects. Um, I don't know the specific race of that. All I know is the DNA, when they took it from the arm, matched the uh, the dna of this metal and the metal had dna in it so there was some sort of bio connection and it really looked like it was molded you know we thought we first thought maybe it was just molded it just melted from the craft exploding and maybe the body you know somehow quickly was uh, introduced into sure. this giant spear but it wasn't it, we, we figured Neil out later Diamond's that somehow Rosie, it can transdimensionally points. put its hand in the metal and operate this weapon you have to understand there, there's a lot of things going on up there that's very dangerous that um by getting this space junk back to the planet, reverse engineering it, enhancing our technology in space and our spacesuits and our craft and, and things like that allows us to you know, step up that ladder to the next level. Whether that's gonna become declassified soon, I do see that happening. Like they're already starting to change the spacesuits now, I heard. Mm -hmm. And um, I haven't looked at them, but I've, I've heard this through the grapevine. Why don't the, the ETs come and retrieve their own stuff? I believe they do when they can, but there's also, they want to like stay out of this area, this atmosphere and let us, you know, thrive. And, and, and they're watching us and we're seeing what we're doing. A lot of times they put stuff in space for us to find on purpose they to help us. It up there. Yes, they implant things <laughs> up there. So they're doing that for us to motivate us to reverse engineer things and to help us with a lot of scientific breakthroughs that we have on the planet, you know, all the time. How unique is our planet, do you think, in the universe? Oh, it's definitely one of a kind of the universe with all the different types of species and the beautiful atmosphere, you know, we, this planet has been here for millions of years, and it's been visited millions of times, and it has had many, many different civilizations here throughout uh, its its life, and within the Earth as well. Do you know of anybody that's been launched into space to retrieve any objects? Yes, absolutely. Friends? Colleagues. Have they come back with incredible stories? Always. There's. It's always an adventure. It's just like going into... Uh, a new civilization or discovering something in a pyramid. I, I look at it as a, I'm an amateur archaeologist and paleontologist. So when I find a new okay. discovery, it's always like Me the most too. exciting thing, whether it's just a rock that's, you know, in the shape of something that someone carved a million years ago or a bone that we've never seen before. Another amazing find they had was this. It looked like a basketball, but it was a perfect sphere crystal. And it was very, very highly dense. And it was just sitting out there. And they thought this might have been a, a, a conscious craft at one point Whoa. because they thought it was moving by itself. 
don't forget, everything's mapped in the exo-atmosphere as far as the space junk, and anything new, it, it would always be there. We would know, especially if it's in orbit. You know, they always know. They track all these things, even beyond 85,000 um, feet. So he grabbed this, this device and brought it back, and they were really cautious with it because they'd never seen – because a piece of glass up there – just doesn't survive like this so you know it's obviously some sort of other material or something and maybe you know this could be a civilization maybe it is a craft who knows so they had to monitor this in space and it was a big question about when we should bring this back to the earth or should we because you can't do the right what testing back? up there we don't have the right you know equipment the right no, laboratory right but this was something different this was not you know where did this come from it doesn't look like a scrap piece of metal that's for sure so they did they got it you know onto the shuttle and they did put it into one of these capsules and they did bring it back to the planet and what happened anything after that well they found out that this is some sort of energy device and they still can't crack any type of code on it. And that was a long time ago. We're talking 94, 95 was area. And I've heard that they have collected more of these since then. A couple of my colleagues has, has informed me. But this is definitely some sort of energetic device that pulls energy from wherever it's at. And it gives off um, a, a special healing frequency. And they have done this tests is an ongoing with issue uh, growing cells around I it, plant cells, growing, uh, human cells, animal cells, fungi, all sorts of amazing tests. They had published and it, it by somehow. 2 p.m. Every yes, you, you talked about some points. craft that might have been up there. Have Fucking we been able useless. to identify any of it? And if we have, where might they have originated from? Well, we have a huge database in the compartment Nobody should labs. advertising with the Arizona um, like Daily working Star. On a specific extraterrestrial body, and then the next thing you know, they want to pull me to take me to the craft of this extraterrestrial, which I had no idea. I wasn't even debriefed there was a craft, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not allowed to ask those questions. You're not allowed to do anything unless asked upon. Okay. And and that's how I was able to up, you know, my security clearance every three months. So what happens is. You go there, we'll take samples of the craft, even, bring it back, we check it with the DNA of the extraterrestrial, and I've said this many times before, they make a match. Sure. So then this goes in a data, and I'm not, don't, you have to understand, I'm not the only technician doing this. You understand there's other scientists sure. and technicians there's there army on people, many right? different other craft and bodies. So there's a huge database of this, and that's what got me so intrigued and so addicted to this uh, position, was because it's like looking at an encyclopedia of the species, of the universe it must have been exciting to it, look at that. it was like the most profound thing especially seeing the actual bodies and the pictures and the videos and the autopsies that they had already recorded before i was even there to know this was been going on for so long and and now these are new species coming in uh that you know were not documented that i was working on that are still probably you know to this day um, they're like you said, they're cross matching species with ships and crafts mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, you know, where do they come from? And, you know, so they're doing this huge Christmas tree database of DNA 
and extraterrestrials and the craft and they're recording all this and they're putting it down into these compartmentalized computerized systems which i know one of the main databases is in an underground facility in new mexico and the other one is kept in space in a vault there's a vault in space that's our seed that vault up there right it, it, right it, and there's a, also an underground facility in the ocean so there's like three or four vaults that are keeping the data of this that cannot be hacked once it's put in there you can't set a signal in there you can't upload it, it has to be manually put into these things which i found is very archaic but at the same time it's probably the smartest thing to do and it works and it works will salvaging continue yeah, I think it's going to be a big business because the civilian community, I think, needs to start cleaning up our just our space junk that's already sure. up there. Sure. So I think they're going to make that public soon. So I wouldn't be surprised after this airs, maybe within six months, they might come forward and say, well, we know we need to start cleaning up this this mess out there. And, you know, later on down the road, they'll say, well, by the way, we found this other piece of junk. We don't know what it is. And they've already been doing this for 20 years. So I think there's going to be a release of this information to the public very soon. Thanks for being on Cosmic Disclosure. Right. Thanks for having me, George. Done. This is Cosmic Disclosure with our guest, Emery this Smith. This is Cosmic Thanks Disclosure. The Perils of Portal Missions. On Cosmic. The Perils of Portal Missions. Emery Smith. <clears throat> see if we can get some Bluetooth action, man. Welcome to Cosmic Disclosure. I'm your host, George Nori, and I'm here with Emery Smith. Portal missions. What's it like to enter into another dimension? Emery, welcome back. This is going to be fascinating. Thanks for having me. Portals, what do you have to do to gear up to go into one? Yes, I mean, there's a lot behind that. I mean, not only just getting in shape for this, because you might be going somewhere where the air is a little thinner. And, you know, if you haven't been training at high altitude, you're going to have a hard time, you know, trekking a half mile out and a half mile in. So there is a lot of physical fitness training you do have to go through based on the mission. The mission also, by the way, it's not like they call you up and say, oh, you're going away tomorrow. No, this is something that's planned out for months and months and months and months in advance. So you get to meet your team. You get to establish a rapport establish you know personality profiles with each other and get a you know to get that camaraderie to work together is the first thing would happen is there will be a mission plan let's say three to six months out and they would get a group together and it depends you know what the mission is for do they need a botanist do they need you know what kind of right you know medical doctor med something right what is the mission what kind of engineers you need for this mission what type of uh, geologist do you need for this mission and so it's a very specific thing and there's usually around six to seven uh, people in a team uh, there's always a medic uh, that can do, you know, three or four different things. Um, there's usually a security person that also can do three or four different things. And then you have the main, you know, uh, scientists that are there for specifics for whatever that mission. So we'll go through three months of, number one, just education of, you know, the background of 
where we're going. So we get to see the debriefings of the past, you know, 150 missions. You know, seems pretty intensive. Wow. It's very intensive, and it's a lot of information all at once because there's some things you can touch, there's some things you can't touch, you know, which they found out the hard way. So there's these, you know, rules and, and regulations and protocols specifically that you have to follow when going through any mission-oriented portal traveling because if you don't, you know, things can go bad really quick, such as the weather, you know, such as um, someone getting injured. Even something like that will slow up the mission tremendously. And when you only have, you know, anywhere from 15 minutes to a few hours max to do your mission, you really have to optimize that time. So it is this kind of a running in and running out type of thing um, for safety reasons, because they're, like I said, they haven't really conquered how long that door stays open. Do they know where they're going once they enter the portal? Yeah, in the briefings, you know, we have lots of video, lots of pictures of prior teams going in and out. So we have an excellent idea of what we're going to expect. It's, it's like uh, reading the map of uh, London before you go to England to visit and you kind of know what's going to be there. Um, there are, however, occasions that, you know, sometimes to say symmetrically doesn't work out so well. And you, uh, there was one time where we actually went to a place and it was the wrong place. And you know, the wrong place. It was the completely <laughs> wrong place. We were supposed to arrive in a desert. We arrived in a tropical, like, jungle bog. And it was a very, we weren't prepared. The, the suits were not prepared correctly that we had to use. The equipment was wrong. And luckily, we were <laughs> able to turn around and get out of there before the last one <laughs> came through, uh, which, you know, was just a different area. Sure. And this area, um, we'll have to go back because maybe this was an area that was never explored because we've never seen it before. What else could go wrong that you wouldn't anticipate? Some of the scariest things are the geological events on a planet that you're not familiar with. We sometimes um, bring these uh, special dogs that are trained for frequency, and they can hear and tell you before an earthquake happens or a volcano erupts, okay. and they have special senses that they've been trained on. They also can smell certain things. Uh, they've been trained as a puppy to learn different scents of minerals, different scents of plant life, different scents of uh, different types of genetics that can smell, you know, many, many different things and sense and hear frequencies that we can't hear. Um, there was an incident where we were walking and the, there was like an underground bubble um, just a few feet below the ground and someone was just walking and stepped on it and it released this noxious, just very poisonous gas right through the surface. And you could see it, this, this, you know. Without the dog, you could have gotten killed. Right, we could have gotten killed. So they can pick up on the, the slightest little things. And um, so it's a protective measure. Do the dogs that you take, are they wearing special outfits too? Yes, they are. They have, uh, it depends on where we're going and what type of environment's there. Sometimes they just go out themselves with a, you know, the little backpack and all their equipment. A little leash and off you go. Right. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they, they have special helmets for these dogs. Um, they always have eye protection all the time. They wear these giant goggles, these... Um, 
special iridium goggles like you see on the astronauts helmets when they go to these things um, some of these can be uh, waterproof uh, they actually have special designed uh, like suits for these dogs where they actually have their own helmet system and they have ways to breathe the atmosphere for testing um, so that, you know, it just depends on the type of mission and where mm -hmm. they're going. Is there a specific breed that is better than another? Like no. German Shepherds or something like that? No, no. Stiffs, uh, because they're, a big dog. they're big and burly and they can carry a lot of weight. And, um, you know, you have to understand when you put a dog in a suit, you know, and a lot of weight, you, you do need some strong, you know, some strong animal uh, to do that, plus uh, they their sense of smell is really good. And that being said, um, going back to the threats, you know, one of the scariest things are uh, for me are like earthquakes, which I've been involved with hardly ever on planet Earth, but through these events, like it's just it just happens. Sure. Also, storms can brew up like out of nowhere. So we have a lot of cool equipment. We have, you know, specialists that, are, that monitor the weather. Sometimes uh, we have also types of like robots that are with us that collect this data and using special equipment to monitor the area, just the, the atmosphere, the ground, special sensors are in the ground. So something changes. Right, and you have the dog too, and then you have the team that are just trying to get their job done. We're just trying to get in and get out safely. That's our job and very mission oriented. Um, we have special suits depending on where we're going, depending on the pressure and how hospitable the, the areas that we're gonna be going to. Um, sometimes they have our own pressurized suits. They're kind of like a thin astronaut suit, but not as, um, you couldn't like survive in a, a spacewalk for sure. It's what just, about helmets? Yeah, we have helmets that we use today for salvaging space wreckage. It's, it's a very, like a hexagonal helmet that comes on to your suit. And you're in constant contact. Everyone's always in constant contact until you see something that's really amazing. Like one time, the sky uh, at one of these places was constantly changing colors. It bleeds from like light blue to violet to pink to yellow. To it's like this weird cosmic colors. Like the whole sky does this. So we thought it was just because of where we were that our eyes we, we thought it was you know a problem with the human body was not able to but they leaked they linked it to some sort of atmospheric gas that was surrounding the planet kind of the aurora borealis the whole sky was like this so it kind of made us sick as we were you know hiking down this this trail i remember and the, the constant changing of the colors were making us like nauseated so they had to use a special film that they made special helmets just for this this planet that allows the sky to look the same color all the time. So you're saying the changing colors had some impact yeah. on how you felt? Yes, it did. Yeah, it had a, a nauseating type of feeling that everyone experienced, even the dog. Now, you had mentioned the members of the team. Some were medical, some were security, a lot of scientists. Mm -hmm. Who picks the team? Well, there's these, you know, these team managers that are put in place in these things that have been running it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Some are very new, some are very old. So they go in and say, this is what we need to do for this specific mission. We need to get this type of crystal. We need to get this type of plant. 
get some samples of this type of water. You know, I was fortunate enough to do a dozen of these, you know, because they always need a field medic. They always need someone with the experience I had with the biology of plants and animals and extraterrestrials and things of other than Earth origin. So I was harvesting, you know, plant material and crystals and dirt and water and things like that. At the same time, I was also security and also a field medic. How many missions were you on? Dozen, about a dozen. Of all the missions that you have, is there one that really stands out and can you tell us what it was like? One of the missions that we went on um, was this, this planet I was telling about. It looked like a desert and it had this color changing sky and I'll have to get back to that because it was probably one of the most amazing uh, places I've been because the, the lakes that were there and some of the trees and things were all this you know bioluminescent, iridescent colors. They weren't putting off light, but the light from the atmosphere was reflecting off of them. Okay. So it was like a chrome world, you know, where, you know, plants and very large trees, like you could not see the tops of these trees, kind of like redwoods, but more like redwoods that looked like Christmas trees. <laughs> so really big, like that triangular formation type things and kind of like a pine needles like too. a mirage right it's like a mirage but not blurry everything's crystal clear yeah. but i think it was because of all this re you know reflection that and the lights from the atmosphere i think were making everyone you know nauseated when you're trying to do your job so I was, I was lucky enough to go back there one other time and with these uh these helmets and they were allowing us to easily just see in one color spectrum and it wasn't affecting us and you could you know see really clear the water uh, was the most amazing thing because it looked like the liquid and light sticks mm -hmm. did you ever see those light sticks yes. like the kids who use on halloween yeah and then so the whole lake was like this bioluminescent you know moving you know and it was just a lake and it constantly had small waves and we didn't understand, you know, how could this small lake, you know, maybe 20 acres or so have like waves in it, like, you know, two feet waves. Because it's self-contained, right? Yeah, self-contained. And um, this is also one of the first places I experienced the, you know, the earthquake, which is very unsettling. When you're doing something as a team, you know, sometimes someone else has to go you know, maybe 300 yards away from, you know, you. So we're kind of spread out a little bit. And um, and we don't stay together like scuba divers. We go out and do our thing. You know, we all have maps already of what we're supposed to do. We have special GPSs that we can see on our heads-up display. We know where everyone's at. We can immediately find out, you know, if you're with me, I was like, what's, what's George's heart rate? Is he okay? Plus the robot that's with us is always monitoring everything. So if something did happen where someone even, you know, they have gyros in these suits so they know if we fall. So they will know immediately if we fall, it'll set off an alarm, you know, and that's also scary because we had someone, you know, fall off a small cliff. And um, because the ground looked like it was solid, but it wasn't. And this is another thing with the geologists that are there, and they take these uh, seismic uh, imprints from these robotic uh, units that will shoot like a, a wave, a frequency or a sonic wave into that, and it builds. So we wanna know where we're at. Is that ground even supported? 
you know? Because you could just be walking along and poof, he's gone. So before we do that, we get there, you know, the robot runs all the tests on the atmosphere, on, on the ground and everything. We have this, you know, perfect volumetric images of everything so we know, all right, this is safe, you know, up into this area. But, you know, these things happen. And then as soon as someone gets injured, now the mission is aborted. This becomes a life-saving mission. One person gets hurt, you call come you, back. You, you cancel the mission and you bring the person back. Let's say you've done your mission. When do they send you out again? Um, it depends. Like I said, you know, you might be training for two, three missions at one time. So you might be, you know, in that three or six months preparing to do a, a, maybe a mission, you know, every other month. It just depends on what you're, you know, what they called you to do. You know what missions they want you to be on you know i've never really done a mission in more than one per like month i've never done like two in the That's same two in the same month but i was only part of that program for a short period where do you train you, you, train, you train in the facility you know wherever that facility is um this facility was in northern new mexico in, in its own section i'll say not not associated with the bases or underground under underground mm -hmm. and they um, have a an area there that is like a classroom very basic and you get to talk to sometimes people that have already been there so every day it's kind of like a little school you have about two to three hours of uh education and then uh, you have of course your physical fitness is about three hours a day and then you also get trained in how to work the uh, the robots and uh, you know the, the different types of uh, computers and different types of devices you're going to be using you go through scenarios where we'll actually dress up and just walk outside in the desert you know and just like use our equipment get very comfortable with it um, we'll do fake things, a lot of fake little missions before we go to make sure everyone's comfortable. And then we do a and course, and then we go. And then a lot of times, too, we also, just like uh, when pilots are doing pilot training, you know, and they're in these simulators. So, you know, they do the same thing with us. They say, well, what happens when so-and-so falls off a cliff? You know, what's the protocol? Bam, bam, how are we going to do that, you know? What happens if, you know, someone brings back a bad biological agent? You know, what do we do then? Has that happened? Yes, that has happened. Where we got quarantined for two weeks, all of us. Jeez. And luckily, you know, none of us got, it was on the suits. And well, um, what if this organism got loose throughout the, the planet? Well, this, this facility is a vacuum air sealed type uh, room where these portals come through. And what they do is they have special devices, kind of like a Rife machine but a lot larger that can scan like a whole football field and it knows if there's a foreign microorganism on you uh, like a virus a negative ionic uh, you know some sort of negative cellular material it knows how to pick this up and immediately as you come through that you have to stop alarms go on alarms go off and they have to sanitize the whole room they use you know, ethylene oxide gas, they use uh, frequency devices, they use it, and you just get blasted. Okay, and then from there, you have to go through a separate part of the building that's an airlock and sit in there like an HBO chamber. And then they have to monitor you for like eight hours. You're sitting in there and you can't use the restroom, you can't do anything. And then at the same time, you know, you go through a regular what we call decontamination, where they just go, you walk through this hallway and it sprays you with water and all different types of chemicals. 
and then you know and then you're free to change out and then you have to go through a two-week evaluation where you're put in confinement you know with the team and they have special underground apartment complexes for this reason that's completely airtight sealed and then you just kind of live there do you have friends that you have got on missions with that you still collaborate with all my friends um and colleagues have all passed away in january what from uh that accident all of them, oh my God. All of them. you're the only one left correct how do you feel about that fucking terrible terrible that good people yeah they're they were my friends is this program worth it Emery? anything to advance our technology i think is positive even if they use some of the technology you know for the negative there's always good things that come out of it and you know we do need to broaden our horizons you know we can't be quarantined to this planet forever you know regardless of what's going to happen in the future if we get along or not you know we need to be educated the world needs to be educated and informed about all these amazing things that are happening out there behind our backs and you know and utilize that for the good of the planet and the people so i think you know and i have a lot of hope that you know a lot of this is going to come forward with other people and um, trying to get of course people that were associated with that program to come out and you know maybe do something but that's a long shot you know it's it's more of getting people that um are scientifically have the background that have been involved with those projects would you do it again sure given the chance oh absolutely yeah these missions that you've been on have you stumbled across extraterrestrials or had some planned contact with them none of my missions uh, i was face to face with an extraterrestrial we have seen videos from past missions of um other people you know meeting extraterrestrials through portals um some even having set up meetings you know through these uh, but i have never seen anything uh, face to face uh, during my adventures through that why are the missions so short 15 minutes half hour why aren't they longer because they haven't really um the longest mission i've ever been on is two hours but it usually only lasts about 15 minutes to 30 minutes because they have it's, it's like a safe zone for that portal to be open it's only open for a certain amount of time to the certain area and certain you know like i said the planet has to be just right the you know, even if it's the man-made one, you know, there's still a lot of things that are in place they haven't figured out. So to be play it safe, even though it's open for 12 hours, you know, we just do one in, one out, and play it safe and keep that, you know, keep that mortality going. So they're not quite sure what could happen, so they call things so quick. Yes. What the happened? portals that you use for your missions, what are they? Are they man-made, or are they already part of the planet? Well, they had built the one I was going through on top of one that's already there. So they're utilizing not only man-made energy, but they're also using the energy from the planet. Does every portal go to a different place? Yes. I mean, as far as I'm, that I know, that all the portals are going to different places. And there are some portals, of course, that they can 
you know, that the ETs have that they're utilizing that can go multiple places using that ley lines of, of the universe. Can we, though, direct the portal to go to a specific place? Do we have that kind of technology? No, not yet. Basically, what we do is we wait for a certain time where we know that this is where this portal is going. And when that happens, you know, and this is how they've been sending, you know, drones through. You jump and, and then we jump on that, right? We jump on that, that wormhole that's open for 12 hours. The portal you go through is the same portal you come back in, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same portal. Um, sometimes, since it's been going on for so long, they have actually built a similar man-made portal on the other side, utilizing the ancient portal that was already there. So that frame I was telling you about sometimes is located in that that same area. We're concerned about contamination and viruses, but what about psychological things too? Anything happen to people? Not so much. I mean, these people know what they're getting into. They go through huge uh, psychological evaluations. I've had more incidents being in the military, you know, um, in hot zones where you know people were freaking out a little bit more than the usual. It is a, you know, a different type of environment because you know you're going there. You kind of almost volunteered to go on these missions. You know, you have accepted, you know, that responsibility. You know it could get very scary very quickly. You know that you might not come back. So, you know, these people, you know, as far as I'm concerned, are heroes. You know, they're the real superheroes of the planet. And, um, you know... They're, they're doing something because they believe and uh, believe in it, and they believe what they're doing is uh, not harmful uh, to anyone. And even though it, it may be, you know, we are just a group of uh, soldiers going in to complete a mission, and, uh, and that's what we do. So you collect all this data. What do you do with it afterwards? Well, I think they're just making a database like we do with ETs and extraterrestrial craft. And, you know, logging in, they know where we're at. You know, they know if we're on Mars or in another, you know, solar system. And I think they're just looking at, you know, different habitable places uh, to maybe uh, rebuild, you know, the civilization here on Earth and other places that are safe. Um, I think all that data is being put into some, you know, big secure database for evaluation. What's the protocol for taking samples? Well, it depends what kind of sample it is. Uh, vacuum containers, they look like a, a, like a sunglass holder, you know? And we have bigger ones too, that um, could be as large as uh, about three feet in diameter, like an egg shape, you know? And these things are vacuum pressured and sometimes special gas can be introduced into the unit. And some also can freeze things like instantaneously. So different tubes for different specimens. Different tubes for different specimens. There's only like two or three different tubes, but they all kind of do the same thing. Once you put something in, you can take the air out that was from this you know, atmosphere and fill it full of a special gas, or you can uh, basically add, a, it has a nitrogen-like thing on it. You can freeze it instantaneously and remove the gas because anything that comes back that was open there, you have to be careful, you know, and the uh, robots know how many parts per million of particulate matter are floating around the atmosphere. Because you, you know, even in this room right now, you have, you know, trillions of particles just here, but you can't see it. And we have to know, are those particulate matter, you know, 
is that going to create you know something back home? Is that going to be a uh, a threat, you know, contamination. So as soon as that comes through, all those containers are put into another giant container and is shipped off Safety somewhere. Purpose. Right, and is shipped off somewhere. Right. By going through these portals, personally, what have you gained from it? What has it done for you? Well, it inspires me. You know, it gives me even more hope that, you know, there's more stuff out there that can help the earth and help mankind. You know, I have a great compassion for you know, all these different places. And uh, some places I don't think we should be because they're so beautiful, I don't want us to contaminate. Is it exciting to go through these? It's always exciting. I mean, there's always something that happens that never happened before. And, you know, it always goes down and written in the books that this has never happened. And to be part of that was really exciting. What has this technology done for the planet? The fact that we can do this? It's advancement in science. I mean, everything we bring back, like I said, has to do with something that they're going to create to help our longevity, to help, you know, the protection uh, of us. I would like to see a shift in that so they start utilizing it to, like, clean up the planet, you know, because I'm more about let's get the planet fixed first before we live for, you know, another 200 years. You know, that's great, love it, but without the planet, you know, being fixed up, because they could be turning this technology around that we get from these other planets and utilize it to clean up Earth, special uh, dirt that absorbs, you know, uh, radiation and, and things like that that they have brought back. And this can be manufactured is what I'm getting at. You know, imagine, you know, dumping that into, you know, an area of the ocean that can, you know, clean out a, you know, uh, a 500 hectare area of of radiation in the water. So there's these amazing technologies that are coming through that are kind of being utilized in the wrong way, but at the same time can be engineered if they got the right people on board ah, or get the technologies into the right people's hands to utilize it to help the earth. Every great information. Thank you. You're welcome, George. Uh, this is cool. That was pretty rad. Thank you, I felt that. I don't know about you two people. So I listened to my podcast. Well, thank you for a thousand views, by the way. <clears throat> or listens. Whatever you call it. An audience of two. Oh, nice. So go fuck yourself, Kevin at DHS. Stop suppressing my communications and podcasts. And uh, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, learn something about the universe, the world around us, and uh, about the uh, U.S. government's um, basically stealing theft. $21 trillion unaccounted for by the Pentagon. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in, in um, hearing when I crashed the Pentagon briefing, Go to my other podcasts, <clears throat> The Governator Show, Christopher Governator, hashtag Christopher Governator if you want to find it, four is a number, and um, yeah, follow me across social media, Christopher Governator, and if you want to send me an email, Christopher4Potas uh, at ProtonMail.com. And here's a free plug for po- Proton Mail. It's have, it's encrypted. It's based in Switzerland, <clears throat> and that's what the journalists are using. I noticed on Twitter. 
They're using Proton Mail. It's heavily encrypted, unlike Gmail. So, um, start up a Proton Mail email account today, and leave your Gmail bullshit behind. Easy to hack. Super easy. This is the tree step. You can also, I'm uh, posting music and comedy and um, other pages on Facebook. So like art, no, music by the Trista, like Megan the Stallion uh, on Facebook. And I'll be posting more to that shortly. Mm, and uh, what else? Wear a mask to protect yourself and your family and your community. And don't be a fucking idiot. And call Congress 202-224-3121. And the White House 202-456-1111. And make sure that they indict. Sign my petition. Move on petition to indict Trump and almost 200 G.